Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, we're going to have some carnage in the show tonight. Normally, I try to be a nice guy, as the late Owen Hart used to say. I tried to be a nice guy, but man, there are just too many hard truths to face out there. And we saw some of them just plastered, or in some cases, splattered right on front of our TV screens last night. We are live. It is Tuesday, September 5th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed high atop a thoroughly confused downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Why are we confused? We're a little unsure of what Clemson is now and moving forward. Yeah, I saw it last night. Yeah, I've got some thoughts on it. Duke just runs away from Clemson. Just, just kind of, just kind of, I don't know, put him to sleep. And it felt like a lot more changed than just one game last night. I, I think some hard truths need to be faced. I, I don't think it's the end of Clemson as a program. I think it's the end of the way they've run their program. And so that, that's really in Dabo Swinney's lap now. That's up to him as to what he wants to do. Anyway, I'm going to talk about all that. we got a brand new JP poll. Uh, power ratings are not rankings, people. And we will, for, for one time and one time only, explain the difference tonight, and then we'll just uh, lay it out. I'll, I'll tell you how the model sees the country right now. Full week two picks. Tuesday night is about predictions here. Texas-Bama, we're predicting it tonight. You know Oregon goes to Texas Tech this week. You know A&M goes to Miami this week. You know Nebraska goes to Colorado. Children, gather around the campfire and let Uncle Josh tell you that that game used to mean a whole heck of a lot more than it has in recent years when it's happened. Um, here we are. Cheapest ticket. What was it, Jesse? Like 400 bucks earlier today in this economy? $400 to see a Colorado game. Yes, sir. And the reason is Deion Sanders. And the takes are getting worse and worse by the minute when it comes to Deion because Deion is a transcendent figure, and that's a good news, bad news thing. It's good news for people in my line of work, but it's also bad news for those of us who are diehard college football fans because it attracts casuals in mass. And the thing casuals like to do when they show up to the party is they like to talk. They like to drive up, and they like to talk before they really know the scene, and people are doing it, and they're doing it by the truckload with Deion Sanders, and it sucks every bit as bad as you would imagine. They're watching us in Columbus, Ohio, hopefully Columbus, Georgia. They're watching us in Leeds, Alabama. Embrun, Ontario, Canada is tuned in, as is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Temple squeaked by Akron. Akron plus 10 cashed, but Temple did squeak by. So congrats to those of us uh, up in Philly. You know, I was thinking to myself, big weekend coming up in Tuscaloosa. We're going to be there. Uh, McAfee's going to be there. College game day is going to be there. 
Brandon Walker and uh, the Barstool Show. They're going to fly in for a couple of hours, and hats off to them for, for, headed down, for heading down. Look, the chalice of supremacy here, I thought to myself, a couple of years ago, we made some waves as a people, as a show, you know? It's the day I really think that we, we formed our edge as a brand. And some say we've gotten soft since then. Some say that. I don't say that about you guys. Some say that. You know, once you get over 200,000 subs, they think you're, you're a little bit too lofty to get back in the weeds and roll up your sleeves. And so I just want to remind you guys, any one of you who finds ways to publicly promote this brand and this show Saturday by any sorts of irresponsible means, shall I of supremacy are on the line. A couple of years ago, we got banned from certain morning shows on Saturdays because too many of our posters showed up in the background. And it, I'm just saying, it would be a shame if it happened again. That's all I'm saying. It would be a shame. Would it not be a shame? Everyone in the room? Yes. Nods of heads. It would be a shame. So I'm going to leave that in your capable hands. I'll, I'll keep all these chalai stashed over in the corner, or you can have them. It's up to you. My balls are in your court. Let's start the show. Duke throttled Clemson last night, 28-7. So much so that the entire fourth quarter was mainly Tom Luganville and Dusty and Dave Pash. The crew there did a great job, by the way. They're talking about what this means for the future of Clemson's program, and that's just not the way it was supposed to be. So you know how we have padlock stats on the show? That's the stat where if we would have known this beforehand, we wouldn't have needed to watch the game. Well, this one had what we call a pipe bomb stat. And pipe bomb stats, I don't have a bomb on set for obvious reasons, so I'm going to use a paper pop instead. The pipe bomb stat from this game sounds like this. Clemson entered this game with 56 four- or five-star recruits on their roster. Duke entered this game with, drum roll please, two four- and five-star players on their roster. And yet it was Duke that stormed the field. 100% crowd participation. As far as I could tell, Wallace Wade Stadium completely emptied and they still had room for extras on the field. So I kid because I care. Congratulations. Hoomst could have seen it coming. Well, I don't want to spoil it. Roll it, Colin. Don't overlook Duke. That Duke game, 12-point spread on it. It's not just an imminent blowout in week one. I legitimately think this would throw the entire sport into early season chaos. I think this would be the early season crowbar to the knees that, quite frankly, this sport needs that time of year. If Duke beats Clemson, number one, Mike Elko instantly becomes the hottest name in the head coaching market. Number two, and this is on the Tiger side of things, Clemson would just delve into full panic mode. Keep an eye on this game. That's a 12-point line, and Duke has got a heck of a quarterback, and they get the home field advantage. Whatever that means in Durham, North Carolina, they got home field advantage. Be really fun. Be really fun to watch. So, yeah. Did we roll with Clemson minus 12? Of course we did, but that's not what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that clip from like two months ago when I had thought better of the situation. And then we got into the forest and we couldn't see the trees. But there you have it. Nothing flukish about it, was there? I know some of you didn't watch this game last night. Some of you just checked out the final score, and you, you probably thought what I would think if I saw that final score. Whew, man, turnovers must really have gone against Clemson, which they did, but here's the thing. Duke turned it over a couple of times as well. Uh, you know what I thought about this game? I thought to myself, 
Well, Mike Elko's a rock star. That's the first thing I thought. Riley Leonard is, if he wasn't already, going to be a rock star. But also, I always think this. When I see a team that's taken over and it immediately improves, and they won nine games last year, and they're off to the races this year at Duke, I think to myself, obviously they got the right combination of people that came in. Head coach first and foremost, but they got the right combination of people there. I always think to myself, man, how many other rosters out there are technically capable of this? Like how many bad situations right now could be taken over by a Mike Elko and boom, just be turned around like that? It's not easy. I know that, that snap of the fingers there makes it sound easy. It's not that easy. The real ones, the real studs in the coaching profession, they just make it look easy. Uh, side note, one of the biggest debates that raged last night, and I was at the center of it all, was did the Duke helmets look good? D yes or no? Did the Duke helmets look good? It was the old English lettering. And I found that that's an oil and water thing. That's, that's a hard yes, hard no um, I mean, that's like bananas. You either like the texture of them or you don't. No one's indifferent on it, it seems. I was a hard no on it, but it didn't matter because Duke won the game. So anyway, we talk about winners first on the show, but I know 98% of you sadists out there, you tuned in to hear me trash Clemson. And you know what? I'm, I'm pretty much going to do it. I got immense amounts of respect for what Dabo Swinney has accomplished there. So just blah, blah, blah. You know all that. Do you realize, let me just give you some do you realizes. This is why the sport's great, because it's totally unpredictable. Think about this. Think about watching DJ Uyangalale leave Clemson, go to Oregon State, and then realizing months later, he actually upgraded his situation. Do you realize that? It, DJ threw one week against San Jose State, albeit DJ's balling out up there in Corvallis, Oregon. He's in a better situation as a quarterback. He's in a better situation on a better team in a more stable program, it seems like right now, and in an offense more conducive to leveraging and featuring his strengths. I just didn't find myself saying that. I didn't think I was going to be saying that, but I am. I am saying that. So even if you removed the turnovers from this thing last night, it would have been a dogfight. So sometimes, I was, on, I was on with Canel earlier today, and we were going back and forth about this on HQ, Sometimes when you see big upsets, my mind goes back to the Alabama Ole Miss game in 20, what was it, 15 or 16? It was probably 16. It was where, or maybe 15, either way. It was where it was minus five turnovers for Bama. And Ole Miss wins, I think, a one-possession game. That's what the upset normally looks like. When the big dog goes down to an inferior roster, it's normally because of that stuff. It's normally because they've scored 14 points on special teams that, while they count, you never could have seen coming. This, this right here, everyone's focused on, oh, Clemson got in the 10-yard line how many times and scored how many points? Clemson did not punt and, and didn't score in the second half, which is just mind-bogglingly wild. First time I've ever said bogglingly on the show, so good, good on me for that. Um, everyone's focused on that. I, I want you to just do a little mental exercise with me for a second. Remove all that. Okay, let's say Clemson plays a clean turnover game. Let's say turnover margin's even, or maybe even Clemson's plus one. Dude, it's still a dogfight. It is still the Clemson Tigers struggling to beat Duke, much less pull away from them. They're struggling to beat them. Now, I watched it just like you did. I think Duke's got a really good team. But you need to understand something. When you roll in there with 56 blue chippers and they got two of them, 
I think we all know what should be expected. If both programs are operating at or even near peak efficiency, I don't care if they bring their A+. I don't care if they bring their fastball. You ought to be able to B-minus your way to a comfortable win if you've got that kind of roster discrepancy. Now, here's the follow-up. Tom Luganbill on the field last night made a really good point, and I agree with him. It didn't really feel like there was that big a gap, did it? So you can either believe one of two things. You can either believe the recruiting industry is just out of its mind and all of these players for Clemson were overrated even though they had offers from everywhere and everyone on Duke's team's underrated or you can believe something different's happening with those kids once they get on campus or it could be a combination of the two or it could just be Duke's players were put in a better position to win or maybe they're making the absolute most out of what they have and Clemson's not. Any combination of those things is unacceptable if you're Davo Swinney. Yeah, look, I actually, I actually admire what they've done there. I admire what they've done at Clemson. I'm, the, I'm normally the one defending Dabo Swinney. You know, if you're new to the show, you may think I'm some Dabo hater. I had to, I had to head over to the Knowles 24-7 board earlier today. Someone was throwing around the accusation that I was an FSU hater. Like, I have no clue where that came from. So, Dabo hater, I am not. Dabo realist, I am. I'll defend the guy when he deserves defending. He does not deserve defending tonight. He deserves a fair amount of criticism, a healthy amount of criticism. You guys at Clemson love to say that Tiger Paw is different. Clemson's no different than any other program out there. I hate to burst the bubble. The formula to win is no different. They've got a unique culture there. I will grant you that. But what it takes to win is ultimately hiring right, going and getting the right players, developing them, and putting them in positions to succeed. The formula is no different just because you got that Tiger Paw on the side of your helmet. You, you like to think you're different because you're a fan of that program. You're an alum of that place. That's great. I want you to love your program, but you need to understand something. They win the same way at Tennessee and Arkansas as they do at Clemson. And when you don't do the things you're supposed to do at Clemson, the Tiger Paul doesn't save you, does it? You lose the same way that those programs lose when they don't do it the right way. One of two things is about to happen at Clemson. This is going to sound pretty extreme. I don't believe it is. Either Dabo Swinney's about to dive headfirst into the transfer portal, or Dabo Swinney's going to retire. Dabo Swinney's going to leave the profession. I believe that he detests the direction the sport's going. It's all about adapting. Okay, and I think he knows that. I don't think he's blind to what's happening. If he doesn't know it, he's going to learn it in a few weeks when Florida State comes to town, because that's a place, that's a program, that's a man in Mike Norvell that's looked at a method of talent acquisition, and he said, if it's afforded to us, not only am I going to dabble in it, I'm going to embrace it. It's my duty to my team, or it's a dereliction of duty to my team if I don't do it. And that's what Dabo Swinney's guilty of right now. Now, I was happy to sit on the sidelines and let the methodology play out. I said all summer, we'll learn. You know, it doesn't matter if I criticize him because, hey, Dabo Swinney's done stuff that I thought was the wrong move before and it's paid off for him. So what do I know, right? So I was fine sitting on the sideline. Well, I don't have to sit over there anymore because the results are coming in. And they'll continue to come in. Where is Clemson special right now? They are voluntarily handcuffing themselves. They're not special at receiver. Last night, I'm, I'm there believing in their defensive line. They didn't have a sack last night. And while that's not the end-all, be-all in terms of stats, it's been 45 games since they didn't have one. How about that? And so, I mean, I'm looking at Cade Klubnick last night, and the dude looked like he had lived on the streets for three weeks because his uniform was so so dirty because it, it, he'd been battered all night. Where are they, where are they healthy? or where, Not healthy. Where, where are they special? Will Shipley is a wonderful player. And then I start looking elsewhere. I used to see difference makers all over the place for Clemson. 
And you know what? It's really, really tough for me, as someone who's watched that program dominate, to turn on my TV and watch dudes like Keon Coleman do what he did uh, Sunday night down in Orlando and know that dude didn't get recruited by and commit to FSU. He was in East Lansing, Michigan and went in the portal. And FSU pursued him and landed him. And Clemson just kind of turned their nose up at the portal in general. Well, you can't do it anymore. Can't do that. Again, it's a dereliction of duty. And at that point, you get, even if you don't like it, this is the thing about it. I'm not claiming Dabo Swinney's ever going to like it. Okay, We all got stuff in our line of work that we have to hold our nose and do sometimes. It's not all roses. Like You don't always get the smooth path. It's bumpy sometimes. And if you don't believe in it, if it truly is a violation of your value system or your principles, I'm not going to do like everyone else. I'm not going to make fun of you for that. I'm not going to bang on you or hate on you for that. But you're going to have to, you're going to, have to get out of the line of work you're in because that's the direction it's going. You don't have to like it. I don't have to like it. But you need to acknowledge it. And so they'll get through this season. And then Dabo Swinney's going to have some really, really tough choices to make. I'm not telling you they're going 6-6 six and six this year. I'm not even punting on the season. Okay, uh, Cannell, again, he brought up a really good point earlier today when we were talking. He said, hey, remember that year where Ohio State lost to Virginia Tech at home and then they ended up going on a magical run? I remember that. Yes, this is college football. Crazy stuff happens all the time. Clemson is not special enough as a roster to go on that kind of run right now. And I don't think it's going to change. I said right now. I think you've got what you've got. Uh, and by the way, forget the Florida State game for a second. That's in three weeks. You got the kind of performance you had last night. Even if you erase some of the turnover woes, you are going to find yourself in more dogfights. It could be Georgia Tech. It could be at NC State. It could be at Miami. It could be a number of teams that everyone penciled in W's against. You got North Carolina. You got Notre Dame on the schedule. You got South Carolina in Columbia at the end of the year. You lost that game last year. College football doesn't sit still. This was the message that I kept trying to hammer home, even though I was, I was down in Columbus at the time and we had like 27 people watching the shows. I kept trying to hammer this message home. When, when Dabo and Clemson had started to have a fair amount of success and they had won a couple of championships, which is insane to do. It's so hard to do that. There were people, after they won a couple of championships, who said, there's no end in sight. I was, I'm friends with some of them. They won't admit it, but I'm friends with some of them who said, dude, there's no end in sight. Hey, Alabama, man, they got to go through the gauntlet that is the SEC every year. Clemson is just going to be smooth sailing. And to an extent, schedule-wise, it has been. Because up until five minutes ago, no one had stepped up in the ACC. That's not the only change that happens, guys. It's not just the opponents outwardly that can take you down. Sometimes things in your own program can work against you. Hubris can work against you. Now, arrogance can work against you. Stubbornness can work against you. None of those are on your schedule, but every one of them are dynamics that are in play that can start to just let a little bit of the air out of your tires. That upset last night didn't happen last night. It happened over the span of four years, three years, two years, one year. You start getting comfortable, and sometimes you don't even realize it's happening. You start thinking you don't need to do things that other folks need to do. It doesn't happen overnight. That upset last night, it didn't happen overnight, but it feels like it, doesn't it? It feels like it happened quick. That's why coaches are so paranoid. And that's why even the ones like Kirby Smart has won back-to-back -back titles. Uh, you, you, as Meemaw would say, and she would censor herself, 
there are places that you couldn't fit a 10-penny nail with Kirby Smart on game day. And a normal person would walk by and say, dude, he's won two titles. Why is he so paranoid? Because this stuff right here can happen to anyone. To, to Nick Saban, to Kirby Smart, to Dabo Swinney, it can happen to anyone. It does not matter how well-resourced you are. That just sometimes creates a new set of issues. And so it's not the end of Clemson's program. It's not even necessarily the end of Dabo Swinney winning big at Clemson. It has been, and now will continue to be, emphatically the end of them doing it the way they've done it. Because they have shirked a surefire additional resource that the rest of the country is embracing, and you are not going to be able to compete with them. If you're happy with eight wins, if you're happy with bowl contention, be my guest. That's not Clemson, that's not Clemson football anymore. You took them to a different level. They're going to now expect to live uh, along the lines of that standard. And it is what it is. It is the consequences of success. We talk about it all the time. All right, let's move on. You know what? Since we have such a sizable audience, um, do me a favor and just like the video. Huh. You know, Jesse, I know that we were sitting around the meeting room today and we were trying to decide what order of the show we wanted to go in. I think this is the right time to do this, though. So we have, we have a lot of coaches out there under fire. And I just talked about Dabo. So um, let's talk about a couple more of them. I just want to get, 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 go ahead and get this off my chest. And then we're going to predict a whole lot of games later in the show. I got two added best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express. I got a JP poll to drop. We are, mm, we are loaded. That's a, that's a mic pop, not even a paper pop. All right, Colin, here's your end point. We got coaches under fire all over the place. Friendly fire in some cases, but they're under fire all over the place. Uh, Brian Kelly, people are just selling. They're selling on Brian Kelly. And what's so funny is it's the same folks who sold on him when he got there. But there was this lull, if you'll notice, there was this lull. And that's when people like me started speaking up because I never really doubted him. I still don't. I never doubted him when he got there. In fact, I thought he was going to be a big winner at LSU. Still do. And um, when he started winning a little bit last year, the doubters silenced themselves. But like we always say, when you start winning, when you start succeeding in life, it's like you throw your doubters out the window, but they don't die. These people are like cockroaches in terms of mentality. They don't die. They're just down in the parking lot doing push-ups. They're going to run right back up the stairs. And as soon as you trip up a little bit, there they are again. And the Brian Kelly haters and doubters, whichever way you want to classify yourself, they're back. Why? Because he had the audacity to lose a football game. And he, he lost pretty emphatically in opening weekend. I'm going to talk about FSU at the end of the show. Um, and for those of you asking why I haven't done it, we haven't had a show since the game. That's the only reason. No FSU hatred here. That's the only reason. So stay tuned for that. Brian Kelly, how dare you? What gives you the right? Well, the first thing I think that happened is I think they played a really good team. I think they played a really good team down in Orlando. I would, I would hesitate for just a second to start throwing arrows Brian Kelly's way until you see what Florida State does the rest of the way. Because it could be that they're a double-digit winner in every game up until the ACC championship game, for all we know. But let's just, let's just capsule that for a second, because I know what my friends in Louisiana are saying. They're saying, well, we don't care whether Florida State beats the ACC into a coma. We're LSU. It's not supposed to happen to us. That's true. You're right. I think here may have been the mistake. A ton of stock was put into that win over Alabama last year. 
ton of stock. And here's the thing. If Bama was rolling everyone else last year and it was just LSU that beat them, then that'd be one thing. Bama was in one possession games like every week last year, and you were in one with them too, just like Texas was, just like A&M was, just like Tennessee was. Did we call any of those teams elite? Did we, did we thrust any of them into the top five coming into this year? No, we did not. But we did with LSU. Now, that's fine. I participated not quite to that degree. I participated in a lot of the hype with this team. I still think they're a really good team. But when you beat Alabama these days, it, it, people, man, people, people put the equivalent of like three wins in the bucket when you do that. And it's a big deal. It is. But it's about, it, it, it's about so much more than that is what I'm trying to say. So they had to portal in an entire secondary. I think we probably should have played the clip tonight, but I'll just tell you what happened. When we sat down with him at SEC Media Days, we had him on this show, and he said, I, I got to admit to you. When I asked him about it, I asked him about that secondary. He said, I got to admit to you, it's a red flag. We shouldn't have to do that. And he said, in years to come, we won't have to do that. But we, we had to do it right now. Folks just don't want to hear that. I know how it is, guys. I know how it is in August. I know what practice report season is like. We know what PMS is, preview magazine syndrome, for those unfamiliar. We know how it works around here. You, you don't want to hear that going and getting DBs from Syracuse and Southeast Louisiana may end up with play in your secondary, tantamount to what you would expect from guys who came from those places. No, you want to hear that your staff found diamonds in the rough and that every transfer portal kid who comes in no matter if they're outsized by half a foot per man in your opening game, they're just going to be able to magically step up. Well, this is not a fairy tale world. It's kind of like Shawshank. Prison, no fairy tale world. Neither is playing Florida State with giants out wide. Um, so that happened in week one. Now, they got blown out by Tennessee last year and responded fine. And I think they'll respond fine this year. Like I, I trust the mental resolve of that team a whole lot more than that. But here's what I would like to do. Since we've got a few days, and they play, they play a, a tune-up game this week, and then they're going to they go to Mississippi State in two weeks, actually. Since they do that in two weeks, could I just get as many of you on the record as possible? You know what, Colin and Jesse? Maybe we ought to redo that exercise. What is your opinion of? And we'll just get an opinion of Brian Kelly. And we'll just crystallize all that. Uh, because LSU is going to be in the championship hunt more times than not with him down there. I'm talking about SEC championships and the playoffs going to go to like 47 teams. So probably the playoff as well. They'll be fine. They'll, I have so little doubt about that. It's just that I'm going to use this quote again in like five minutes. So bear with me. Progress is not linear. Everyone would love, hold on, let me, let me make a helpful chart for you here. All right. If you're listening on podcasts, just imagine a straight line. Everyone would love progress to look like this, but in reality, Progress sometimes kind of looks like that. And, and you are here if you're LSU right now. You are there. But it doesn't mean you're not still headed in the right direction. So um, all I'm saying is I'm still in the Brian Kelly camp. Ryan Day is dealing with it in Columbus, Ohio. Ryan Day, uh, what did they have the audacity to do? Win a conference game by 20. It was uninspiring. The offense was, was very, very, very tough to watch. Uh, Kyle McCord, very mixed bag of reviews, and some of them are educated reviews, and even those are very lukewarm on him. I don't know how the quarterback situation is going to turn out there. I have a feeling, and this is just my, my own personal gut instinct. It's not intel from the coaching staff. I think Devin Brown still may factor heavily into that quarterback battle. 
And they got Youngstown State. They got the Penguins, the old Pings coming to town this week. So I think that the past two years, you've watched them play a certain style, and it's run into a brick wall against Michigan. Okay? So part of that is got to get better defensively, and they absolutely have, and I think Ohio State could win games defensively this year. But when you haven't done that to this point under a head coach, people never equate that to being his style. So when you win an ugly game, like Kurt Ferentz, if he were to beat Indiana 23-3, to Iowa fans would love it. It would be a typical Iowa win, but that's not Ohio State. That's not a typical Ohio State win. The thing is, Ohio State has much better athletes than Iowa does any given year, this year included, but it doesn't matter. It's like, it's like the dude on Bucknut said the other day. If we won 42 to 21, we'd be fine, but we won 23 to 3, so we're not fine. I continue to be of the opinion I'd much rather know I got a rock solid defense and it's offense that Ryan Day and his staff need to round into form because I trust them to round the offense into a good enough form. It's defense that I wouldn't necessarily always trust them to round into form if it's not already there. Ryan Day's got one of the best winning percentages in college football among active head coaches. Uh, It's insanity. Some of the criticism that he takes, and I think maybe the further away you get from Columbus, Ohio, the clearer that is. Can we please just give it to the bye week? Can we see Youngstown and Western Kentucky and Notre Dame? I think they're going to be okay. I really do. Dave Aranda, different story. Dave Aranda's at Baylor, obviously. They just got beat by Texas State. They were a 27 and a half point favorite, and they got beat by Texas State. And I had my DMs flooded. I meant to talk about this Sunday night. I just didn't have time. I had my DMs flooded. And those DMs said, well, how do you feel about Dave Aranda now? Really snippy. Dare I even say rude? I feel the same way I've always felt about him. Meemaw used to always teach me, have your opinion move at the speed of honey, not the speed of water. Coaches don't change who they are over four quarters or, or even one season all that much. They may learn some things. They may change their minds on things. Like Dave Aranda, if you once believed he was good, he didn't get bad. So you were either wrong about him, which I don't think I was, or good coaches can have bad seasons. Bad coaches really have good seasons. Good coaches can have bad seasons. You know what I think? I think he's still learning how to be a head coach. Uh, folks like Kirby Smart fool y'all into thinking that everyone is just supposed to learn it that quick. They're supposed to adapt that quickly. It's not normal to do that. Kirby Smart is a, I don't know if he's generational, but he is once in, uh, you know, he's like a one in a hundred guy or maybe one in 500 guy. Maybe Dave Aranda's just pretty good. Maybe he's pretty good to really good. That kind of guy of that caliber at a program like Baylor, uh, do I need to pull the chart out again? I already lost it. Do I need to explain how progress works around here again? It's not going to be linear. It, it isn't even at the major programs. It really is not going to be at Baylor. He's 20 and 17. I know that sounds bad for those of you who are, I don't know, like USC fans. That's Baylor. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's not good enough because you guys won the conference championship two years ago, so you know what's possible there. What I'm trying to say is, number one, like I said, progress is not always linear. And number two... It could just be that he wasn't doing it the right way. I happen to know that's the case in a couple of different categories on the more philosophical side of things with Dave Aranda. I think he got one year, two years into his tenure as a head coach and thought to himself, I'm not doing that right. 
I'm not doing this right. You know, I, don't, I don't think that they handled the portal well. I don't think they were aggressive enough in it. I think they realized that. But here's the thing. There's no quick fix for that at Baylor. At Georgia, there may be a way to at least cover it up. At Bama, there could be a way where even if you have deficiencies, you're a 10 or 11 win team. That's not Baylor. And so I think Dave Aranda is going to be fine. And you know what? I think he'll get it right at Baylor. And if he doesn't, they'll end up firing him and he'll go be a great defensive coordinator somewhere for a couple of years and he'll get another shot and I'll bet on him to succeed there because I think he's wired the right way mentally and I think he'll get it figured out. So I guess I just defended everyone. Now, here's a quick heads up, little spoiler alert for you. Now, close your ears if you don't want to know what's going to happen this Saturday. Either Nick Saban or Steve Sarkeesian are about to have fire incoming. Sark, if he loses Saturday, will really have to deal with it because even though they're a touchdown dog on the road against the best program in the last 15 years, best head coach of all time, they go in there and lose by 10. People will view it as an indictment on Steve Sarkeesian. It'll be crazy, but they'll do it. Now, if he loses 38-3, to that's a little bit different. Uh, Mario Cristobal and Jimbo Fisher play each other Saturday. You talk about toxicity for the loser, and especially if it's Jimbo, toxicity overload. They looked really good in week one. And so if they go down there and, and the net result is the offense reverts back to form, which is not a good thing, then, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really uncomfortable. If Mario Cristobal, if they lose by a 17, it'll be like uh, people think, oh, I don't think these spark plugs work. I think the wood is wet here. Like maybe we'll just never get it together. Maybe Mario Cristobal is a fraud. Maybe Jimbo Fisher is a fraud. Hey, they're going to be the same coaches after four quarters this Saturday. They'll be the same coaches they are now. So if you already doubt them, I don't have a problem with, with you maintaining your doubt. But if you don't doubt them now, there's nothing that changes over four quarters. Your resume changes. Who you are on the inside, that doesn't change. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Academy Sports and Outdoors, the only time they change is for the better. And so I told you the other day, we got transition happening in our Academy Sports and Outdoors locations all across the country. They make the show free. Did you know that? You know, once upon a time, not once upon a Saturday, once upon a time, I was in the world where we had to charge people content. And I hated it because I thought to myself, well, I wouldn't pay to listen to me talk. So why should I think anyone else should? I still feel that way for the record. And so thank the Lord, you don't have to pay for this because I doubt many of you would. Some of you are too nice. Some of you would, but many more of you wouldn't. That's okay. Academy makes it free. And all they ask in return, humbly, is that you just pay them a visit. And it's, like I said, it's not, it's not taking a field trip to a nuclear waste site. These people have it all. They've got all your outdoor sporting goods, equipment, supplies, uh, etc. They've got grills. They've got canopies. They've got chairs. They've got tents. They've got uh, scooters. Have I ever touted the scooter selection there? No. Well, they got them. Fishing equipment, etc., etc. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com is your hookup. Opening multiple new locations in September. I'll tell you about those as the time draws closer. But 
Academy Sports and Outdoors makes the show free, and we appreciate them for having our back. You know what time it is? It's time to do two things, maybe three. Let's, let's put our chapstick on. Fall is getting closer. Dew points are lowering outside. Number two, let's take a sip from the chalice. And number three, let's pop the paper in front of us. To me, the biggest out-of-conference game of the year has arrived. Now, I got some disagreement on that because a lot of you said FSU-LSU was the biggest out-of-conference game. And I guess in terms of like ranking versus ranking, you're right. <clears throat> I just think the magnitude of this one Saturday is bigger. Okay, so it's time to predict it. Let's dive into it. A lot of disagreement on the staff about this one. Texas at Alabama this Saturday night in Bryant-Denny Stadium. We will be on hand. I have been looking forward to this one for a long time. The Once Upon a Saturday tour headed down the road a few hours to T-Town. As high a pressure a game, I think, as you'll see all season. I would put Ohio State and Michigan up there, and I'd put Texas, Alabama up there for really different reasons. Think about the difference in outcomes here. Think about what's on individuals. Steve Sarkeesian knows he's about to be measured based off this game. There are people who wonder if Nick Saban still has the fastball. Like right now, you're okay with Alabama being ranked top three, top four. Where I didn't even look at the AP today. I don't know where they are, but I know they're top somewhere. You're okay with that because they haven't really been tested this year yet. But if they play Texas and they lose, and then you're starting to go back and you're starting to say, hold on a second now. Uh, this is starting to be a pattern. When they go up against high-level teams, they keep either getting pushed right to the brink or losing. Saban used to dominate these kind of games. Saban used to dominate these kind of teams. Does Nick Saban have it anymore? That stuff is four quarters away from happening. Do you get that? Think about Quinn Ewers and Jalen Milrow. Think about the pressure on those two dudes. I'd make an argument that as much as Milrow's been talked about, and as much as that Bama quarterback competition has dominated headlines, including on this show, I think there's more pressure on Quinn Ewers. Ewers is the one everyone expected to be a transcendent star. Ewers is the one that, once again, looked a little shaky in week one, even with the new haircut. This is his shot. Like, if he gets hot, first off, Texas is going to end up winning this game. If he gets as hot as he started last year's game. But secondly, if he doesn't, he's the one who's got all the proven weaponry out wide. Bama's wide receiver room is still a question mark. Like, Quinn Ewers is the one who's got to get it done. Bama can win with Milrow playing a pretty good game. Texas is not winning unless Quinn Ewers shines. And if he doesn't, you're quickly running out of statement opportunities in college. So that's all we've got on the line Saturday night. The status of Alabama's secondary is very important here. I was going to say very key, but one of the kids' last names is key. So Jalen Key was the UAB transfer, a really good player. Banged up last Saturday. Status is questionable. Malachi Moore. Status is questionable. Now, I did the most digging I could today over there, and without sacrificing confidential, highly classified info, I'd bet money that Malachi Moore plays Saturday. I don't know about Jalen Key. I have no idea. But why is that important? I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, because when Texas's buses arrive, not only is Quinn Ewers getting off there, A.D. Mitchell's getting off there. I know my man Xavier Worthy is getting off. And if I'm right, immunity to that, by the way, if I'm right about him being a Dark Horse Heisman guy, this is the game where he's got to shine. They're good at tight end at Texas. They're way deeper than I just listed at wide receiver. And man, when I think back to where Bama struggled last year, and I think back to teams throwing the ball down the middle of the field, mind you, against them, 
I think about guys like Josh Heupel finding the mismatch. That day in Knoxville, we were there for that one too, it was Jalen Hyatt, and it was against a bunch of guys, mainly DeMarco Hellams, and that was it. That was all they needed. It wasn't really overly sophisticated. It was just, this dude's better than that dude. If we can match him up, we can win because we got a quarterback in Hendon Hooker that can get it to him. Well, if Steve Sarkeesian keys on that, and if it's there to be keyed on, then it's going to be a problem all night long, Lionel Richie style for Alabama. So that's the first thing. Because look, if they're healthy, if they've got those guys ready to go, I really like Alabama secondary this year. Really like them. But those are big ifs. Like that fundamentally changes this game. Think about that. That fundamentally changes this game. Uh, the other thing about it is Steve Sarkeesian is a brilliant designer of offensive plays, but he's also got studs. He's got studs in his wide receiver room that he doesn't necessarily have to scheme open all the time. If I have A.D. Mitchell, if, if I have Whittington, if I've got Worthy, you know what I do like half a dozen times Saturday? I just trust them to fight a defensive back and win. I trust them to go and get contested balls. It doesn't always have to be that I've got a big window to throw this football in. It's Alabama. It's on the road. Those windows you can't count on, at least, those windows existing. What you can count on is your guys being better than their guys. This is why these stages are so great because you're playing against the best you're going to see all year. They won't see better athletes than this all year at Texas. And so you go test yourself because if you win those early in the game, you know what that feels like on that Texas sideline? And do you know what it feels like on the Bama sideline? Do you know what it feels like in the stands? You know what it feels like at home? It's fresh in everyone's mind, guys. It's fresh watching defensive backs get burned. Saying Nick Saban coaches the DB so it's a strength of ours only to see it become a weakness in pivotal moments over the past couple of years. They've tried to talk themselves out of that at Alabama. And I actually halfway believe them. I think secondary is a strength for them this year. But I've been wrong before. And if I am, and if Steve Sarkeesian starts dialing it up, if Quinn Ewers gets hot early down here in the stomach, there's this knot that starts to form. It's, it's an oh no moment. That quarterback gets hot early, and, and we find out, oh man, we aren't quite as, as rock solid as I thought we were back there. That's a long night. That's, that's reverting back to thinking we're going to need to score 38 or 42. All right, what's the number we're going to need to win this one? And we ain't got Bryce. We don't have Mac Jones. We got, we got Jalen Milrow here. We thought we were going to pound people into submission. Well, Texas has already got 17 on the board at the end of the first quarter. So yeah, that's a nightmare scenario for Alabama. And so that's exactly what Steve Sarkeesian and his offensive staff are trying to key on doing. Matchup of the game, though, I don't think is that. Matchup of the game, I think, is that Texas run defense against Alabama. Alabama's been so intentional since the moment that Kansas State game ended and the curtain fell on the 2022 season, Nick Saban pulled a lever and they let those offensive linemen know in no uncertain terms, this is what we're about to do. If you're not about this, get out of here. If you are, get your bodies right and get your minds right. They went and got Caden Proctor, a left tackle true freshman, immediately plugged him in because he was better than the options they had. And he proved it in spring and then fall camp. And they are very, very upfront about the idea that they're going to lean on you. They think they can dominate you. And when they're at their best, they don't think anyone matches up with them in the country. And they got a stable of running backs along with a racehorse at quarterback that no one can stand up to for four quarters. That's the game plan. Here's the fun part. Texas has got a really good run defense. Really good. And so you want to talk about, you, you want, you want to talk about one of the matchups of the year in out-of-conference games. 
that's it. We get to watch it Saturday night. So, so here's part two of the potential pit in the stomach of an Alabama fan. If you're just running into a brick wall and it's first and 10 and it's second and 11 and it's third and 13 and that happens a few times in that first quarter and you realize, uh-oh, we can't run the ball. We're not winning. We're not moving. We're not reestablishing the line of scrimmage like I heard we were going to do all summer and fall. That's a knot in the stomach. That means you got to throw the ball to win. Do you trust that you can do that? I know against Middle Tennessee State last week, there were explosive plays through the air, and there's a formula where that happens Saturday night. But if you can't run the ball, that intermediate passing game needs to be there too. Do you trust that it's going to be there? I would not trust that. Here's the other fun part about this. Both teams think that matchup favors them. Texas's run defense thinks that matchup favors them. Bama's offensive line, Bama's tailbacks, Bama's quarterback, that staff offensively, they think that matchup favors them. And what do we get to do? We just get to stand there and watch it. Is that not beautiful? Alabama's going to make the margins really small in this game. So by that, I simply mean Texas can execute it, but nothing's going to be handed to them. I think this defense through one game looks much improved. I'm just talking about the mentality they play with. Uh, There were not a lot of missed tackles last week. The other thing about Alabama, albeit through one game, is they didn't have a bunch of penalty issues last week, and Texas did. Uh, Texas's offensive line struggled last week. The offensive line was the biggest question mark position for Chip Brown and the guys and girls over at 20, or, or Horns 24-7 through fall camp. And that gets me to my prediction. The Vegas number is Bama minus seven right now. What does our model think? Model's really aggressive. It's got Bama minus eight and a half. I had to deflate that number a little bit because the raw data had Bama minus double digits. Computer still sees a gap between these teams. When you factor in home field advantage, it especially does. I think that even though players like Will Anderson left this team, I think their defense is better. I think it's a better matchup for Alabama this year too. And I think the mismatch that will be most glaring through four quarters will be Texas's offensive line on the road facing that pass rush and that front. I think Bama's going to get after them a little bit there. And I think it's going to lead to Quinn. You were still making some big plays. I think it's going to make them inconsistent enough offensively to force some mistakes and also to force enough, not three and outs necessarily, but get off the fields for Alabama to where they end up being able to control clock like they want to and be able to lean a little bit. Uh, I'm going to take Bama to win. I'm actually going to take Bama to cover as well. I don't think it's Texas's time yet. And I think it's pure desperation mode for Alabama, which sounds crazy. I don't think I've ever said that about them before they've lost a game. Just think about that for a second. When's the, last time, when's the last time you saw Bama backed into a corner? When's the last time you saw them in wounded animal mode before they've lost a game? The answer is you haven't because no one ever doubts them. Folks are doubting them. I got folks on my staff picking Texas straight up. I got people on my staff betting money they can't be affording to lose right now. And I'm absolutely going to collect if they're wrong. And that's not, that's not relegated to just my staff. A lot of folks out there think that Bama doesn't have a quarterback. Texas does. And it's Sark's time, and it's Texas's time. I'm sky high on Texas. I just think Alabama's the better team, and they're at home, and that's about the long and short of it. So I'm going to take Alabama to win. I'm going to take Alabama to end up covering. I'm not predicting a blowout there, by the way. That's just a fourth quarter, probably late in the game. Alabama tacks on a score. Close, competitive game. I'm looking forward to it either way, though. We're going to be down there all day Friday in Tuscaloosa, certainly down there Saturday. 
field level for those games is unlike anything that you've ever seen. I know some people tout European soccer, even though they hadn't been to a match. So please stop. Um, it's unlike anything you could ever imagine. The lead up and build up to kickoff in a big college football game and third downs in a road environment in big time college football games at, 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 at Texas Stadium, at Bama Stadium, those places are both the same. It is like, it's to the degree that you can't believe people can function in it. Like I've been at LSU for a number of these games. It's stunning to me that 19-year-old kids can function in that. I'm impressed. Pro, pro guys can do it, but college guys, I cannot believe that they're able to function in that. Remember, I don't care if you're Texas or Alabama, PateStateMaterial.com is the place for you right now. The Once Upon a Saturday Tour is headed down to Tuscaloosa. We leave that specialty shirt in the store for one week only. The Once Upon a Saturday Tour, Bryant-Denny Stadium, September 9th, 2023, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Once that thing's gone, once the clock strikes midnight, basically, Saturday night, that one's done, and you will never be able to get that again. I, I get to have them all. That's one of the benefits of it being your store. And also, the Pate State My State series, I got one for Texas. I got one for Alabama over there. Those things are flying. We've kept them in stock, but those things are flying out of the store. So thank you. Even in Utah, I saw those shirts all over the place. So I expect nothing less at Alabama and the rest of the way throughout the Once Upon a Saturday tour in this season. I appreciate you guys so much because I love the way those things look, and apparently you do too. Let's keep it moving. We got way, way more games to predict. I appreciate you guys being tuned in live. Deion Sanders is 1-0. Colorado's 1-0, and I say those in that order, and they play Nebraska this week. Do any of you have the slightest idea what to expect? Colorado is a favorite in this game. Uh, two and a half to three is what I see across the betting market right now. Big, oh, dude, Fox. I don't work at Fox, and I'll probably get a, a wrist slap for saying this. Fox, whoever decides how to market Big Noon Kickoff, whoever decides where Klatt and, and Gus go, deserves a raise over there. Because they went all in on Colorado being good and Dion being good. And if they would have gotten beat 56 to 10, against TCU when they've already committed their week one and week two spotlight games to Colorado, it would have looked so dumb, but they chose perfectly and it's paying off. So not my employer, but Fox College Football reaping the benefits right now of what Dion and company are doing. Don't be prisoner of the moment. That's what people keep telling me. Don't, I read the comments. I read all the comments. They're telling me don't be a prisoner of the moment with Dion Sanders in Colorado. Because they won the other day. Now, the same folks telling me TCU was, and I quote, the team that just played for a national title, even though all those players left, the team that just played for a national title, even though folks were telling me that was TCU, once you beat TCU, all of a sudden TCU is trash. You notice how that works? Moving the goalposts a little bit there. I just think that they played a really good game and they were fortuitous a little bit and they massively overachieved relative to expectation and they went and beat TCU. And now there's a lot of spotlight on them. I ask you what's worse, though. Is it worse to be prisoner of the moment? Or is it worse to be a prisoner of faulty logic? Because people keep trying to apply data points from the past to Colorado. Let me save you some time. There is no historical data point. No one's done this. There is no comp from 1996 or 2003. It's totally new. It's uncharted territory. Imagine running a sports book and trying to put odds on Colorado games right now. History says this. History says history says people shouldn't be paying $400 for a ticket to a Colorado football game, but they are. 
And the reason is because this ain't Colorado anymore, or at least not your Meemaw's Colorado team. Colorado can. They can be exposed and beaten by an older, deeper roster. I just wonder as we get into this game whether I just described Nebraska. I don't think I did. By my estimation, Nebraska just hired a new coach five minutes ago too, right? Nebraska's kind of in the middle of a rebuild too, right? So, so is, that, is it really Nebraska? Like when they, got, when they beat TCU last week, I had people texting me saying, well, they won't be able to do this against Nebraska. And I'm like, really? Why? Explain it to me like I'm five. Why? So Nebraska went and they, they pushed Minnesota, or they got pushed by Minnesota. But the, the thing about it is Minnesota ends up pulling out the game, but Nebraska pushed them because they shut the run down. Colorado really has a passing interest in running the ball, absolutely, but they're going to they're gonna make their money one way or the other throwing the ball Saturday. And so the key here is, to me at least, seeing how much pressure Colorado can withstand. Like Matt Rule knows what he's doing. Matt Rule knows what he's looking at here. Colorado's got big-time edges. I think they've got big-time edges at quarterback, and certainly they got massive edges at the skill positions. I, I, I got respect for Jeff Sims as a quarterback, but, I mean, Shadur Sanders showed what he's capable of, and at his peak, he's capable of doing really big things, and maybe he does it again this Saturday. But because of that, you've just got to run at them all afternoon. you got to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then you got to blitz Shador Sanders all afternoon. They're going to make some plays. They're going to hit screens. They're going to get the ball on the perimeter. They're going to burn you a time or two. You just can't get burned a time or seven like TCU did. And, you know, your guy, Jeff Sims, your quarterback, through three picks last week will make their guy do it. You know, put your defense in a position to make plays. Is it played in a phone booth or is it played on the perimeter? If you told me that, I'm not sure that's a padlock stat, but if you told me that, that would go a long way in telling me which way this game's going. The Vegas number, as I said, is Colorado minus two and a half. Our model thinks the wrong team is favored. That's the first thing you need to know. Our model actually has Nebraska minus six and a half. So all the way across zero, and the model thinks that Nebraska is the better team here, and that includes with home field advantage. I look at this model, and I say, model, I don't think you have the slightest clue what Colorado is. And you hear that? Silence. I think the model agrees with me. I think Colorado is going to find a way to win the game. Now, what history says is this is a letdown spot. History says... Well, Nebraska threw three picks last week, and uh, therefore, they're more in a do-up situation. This is a massive do-down spot emotionally for Colorado. Surely, they don't click like that two weeks in a row. I know all that. I get all that. I just don't think it's this Saturday. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to apply the book of conventional wisdom to Deion Sanders in Colorado. And you know what wouldn't surprise me at all? It wouldn't surprise me at all if it's late in the fourth quarter yet again and we're playing a game in the 30s or the 40s yet again, and we got Gus Johnson screaming at the top of his lungs yet again, and I'm loving it yet again. I'm taking Colorado to win, and I think they'll cover. And if Deion Sanders starts 2-0, how much will tickets cost from then on? Who, whomst amongst you invested in Colorado season tickets right before they hired Dion? That's the person I want to know. Who got the inside track? And how much money are you making because of that? Congrats. Whomstever it is, congrats. JP poll time. Yes, JP poll time. A lot of wild fluctuation in the JP poll this time of year. 
because we're still very early in the season. So, um, sorry, I accidentally clicked on the wrong thing. Do me one favor, if you will. Got a lot of new folks watching. Got like 8,000 people watching live. So make sure, if you're not already, just subscribe to the channel because it's free. It doesn't cost you a thing. It doesn't lock you into anything. There's no spam mail you get. It just helps us make sure this show always remains free. And we do it all year long. There is no off-season. We don't even say the word out loud. And the second thing is tell five of your friends about it. Like if, if you're like me, candidly, and you kind of got tired with the way national sports media entities were talking about our sport and you didn't think they were doing a good enough job. So in my case, I went and started my own show. In your case, you went looking for another show. Well, hey, you found it. And we're not the only one that does a good job, but we like to think we do a good job with it. And I'm like you, like, like we are like legit college football fans. We're not pro sports folks who pretend to cover and talk about it. We're not baseball sports writers who pretend to cover college football. No, this is all we do. We don't talk about anything else on this channel but college football. But anyway, let me explain to you what the JP poll is. So a long time ago, I disowned the AP poll. I think it's laughable. It's good fodder, but it's largely laughable. Sort of like the farmer's almanac. It's a cute thing to look at in line at the grocery store, but do any of us take it seriously? Do any of us take a magazine that tells us what it's going to be like in Topeka, Kansas, five months from now seriously? Of course we don't. Likewise, I don't really care where the AP has Tulane ranked. I just don't. And so in my world, I started caring about power ratings. And power ratings in my world are quite simply... Let me go build a good computer model, and then let me ask that model who it would favor against who on a neutral field if they played tomorrow. That's not always slam dunk. Certainly the model would have favored Clemson over Duke last night, and look what happened. So it's not foolproof. This is football. We score in threes and sevens with games featuring real human beings who make mistakes and sometimes get stomach viruses the night before games, and the ball's really shaped funny and it bounces weird ways. So this is not foolproof but it's a heck of a lot better an indicator than the AP. So what I'm about to show you is what we do every week on Tuesday. I'm just going to give you the top 20, top 25 maybe. And this is just neutral field favorability. So if you lose, you don't automatically drop. If you win, you don't automatically rise. It takes into account critical factors. The computer weighs them the way that I and the person I partner with for this tell the computer to weigh them, even though sometimes I think this computer has a mind of its own. So without further ado, let's dive in. And let's start in the 20s. Arkansas has cracked the top 25. Wisconsin looks like they fell. First order of business, just because you have a little red arrow next to your name and you're six spots lower than you were last week doesn't mean anything. Case in point, Wisconsin was up in the teens last week. Now they're 24. Wisconsin actually got better. Wisconsin actually got some percentage points added. So if anything, they improved. It's just that other teams improved more, and so they jumped them. Very, very, very much splitting of hairs right there. Uh, UCLA, model loves them. I got them playing for the Pac-12 championship, so obviously I do. Dante Moore. Dante Moore got in there last week. To keep an eye on old Dante Moore. Uh, Mississippi State, we think, continues to be one of the most underrated teams in America. We got Ole Miss and Mississippi State, 21 and 22, respectively. Voila, roll it on. Top 20 here. Gus Malzahn has a top 20 team. Are you kidding me, model? Yes, he does. UCF all the way up at number 20. 
North Carolina made a pretty sizable jump too. Hey, if you tell me North Carolina's got legitimacy on their defensive line, well, we absolutely they're there. Clemson's still number 18. If I was an AP voter, I would not have Clemson top 20, but the model, it's, it, look, I'll tell you what it sees. It sees the turnovers. It knows the variability in turnovers. It knows that that wouldn't have happened. Therefore, it knows Clemson's not that bad a team score-wise. Uh, I just asked the model, hey, where's the love for Duke? And it said, Duke, never heard of her. It's pathetic. Like, it's disrespectful. But anyway, Clemson's number 18. Washington at 17. Utah. There it is again. Fell three spots, right? They didn't fall at all. They stayed right where they were. It's just other teams elevated. Moving on, top 15. Notre Dame, good spot right there for the Irish. Uh, LSU is down to 14. LSU's still a really good team. We're just talking about who would favor on a neutral field tomorrow. Here's the interesting thing. The model would favor Texas A&M over LSU right now. And so I pose this question to you. You can include Alabama here. Who's the best team in the West? Who's the second best team in the West? And who's the third best team in the West? Because as you saw, model doesn't think there's a big gap between those teams in Mississippi State and Arkansas either. So it could be a lot of competitive balance over there, maybe more than people think. Oregon State's all the way at 12. Oklahoma's all the way up at 11. Look at these teams. Top 10 time. Jonathan Smith, man. What a move to get DJU. Uh, Penn State did not drop. Texas did not drop. It's just Tennessee vaulted up a little bit. USC vaulted up a little bit. Florida State's at six. At six. Jesse, do you know where the AP had Florida State today? Just off the top of your head? Four? Okay, so not too different there. Uh, What is our top five? Was there a little bit of movement here? Yeah, there was one. Okay, so Oregon's still at five. Most underrated team in the country, according to the model. Michigan is at four. Ohio State and Alabama switched places. Buckeyes three, tied two, dogs one, neutral field favorability. That's the way we see it. Top 10 there, just as a review. And it's funny how the transfer portal and NIL was supposed to completely transform the college football universe, and yet that's pretty much like a top 10 has looked for decades with maybe the inclusion of Oregon uh, more recently. I don't know. Maybe that's anecdotal. I think that's a little too anecdotal. Anyway, I'll be accepting your comments. I'm sure they'll be plentiful. Oh, boy. I'm not, I'm not going to spend much time on this, I promise you, but I have to spend a couple of minutes on this. Let me take a sip from the chalice. Oh, boy. <clears throat> Here we go. Deion Sanders is totally transcendent. To college football. Like, do you get it? I think the closer you may be to the sport, the less you may get this because you're in the weeds no matter what. If you talk to a casual or even agnostic fan of college football, they don't even know anything about the sport. They couldn't tell you Michigan State's mascot to save their lives. He's who they're talking about. You may be talking about Bama playing Texas Saturday. You may be talking about whether Mario is going to get figured out, whether Mike Norvell has arrived in the ACC. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about Coach Prime. They're talking about Deion Sanders out at Colorado. That is called transcending your space. He matters outside. Like Tom Brady did that in the NFL. Uh, uh, Taylor Swift has done that in music. Deion Sanders is doing that in college football. Again, the further away you are from the sport, the quicker you are to agree with me on that. That's a good news, bad news thing for us. Those of us here inside the bubble It's good news because it brings more attention to our sport. 
The bad news is it brings more attention to our sport, and some of that attention is held by the most casual-minded people you could ever hope to run into. They are the drive-by crowd. They're the ones who pull up, know nothing about nothing, and they're the first to talk. Because as Meemaw used to say all the time, those who know the least usually run their mouths the most. And she was right, and we're finding out again. So some of the things that I saw yesterday, and I'm not going to do anyone the dignity of even putting this online or putting it up for you to see, you're going to start hearing things. And I'm going to beg you guys, don't get sucked in. There was a beat writer for the Cowboys yesterday who showed video of some TCU students yelling obscenities at Dion while he was on the field last week. And Dion blew a kiss to him, by the way, which is beautiful. And this dude says, hmm, do you think that Nick Saban or Mac Brown ever have to deal with fans chanting F you at them? You obviously understand what the implication there is. And to the credit of everyone, regardless of affiliation, regardless of gender or race, I think it was virtually 100% of our people, our college football people, that just jumped down this dude's throat to the point where he deleted the tweet. And that's what you have to do with casuals. You have to shame them. You have to shame casual opinions until they completely evaporate. But that stuff's going to start happening. Because a lot of people don't care about football. A lot of people care about storylines. A lot of people care about drama. Uh, a lot of people care about injecting it into a situation if it doesn't exist. So you're going to see it. I'm telling you, you're going to see it. You know it's coming. Just get ready for it. And, and understand how to extinguish it. Especially if it doesn't exist. Now, if we've got problems that do exist, that's a totally different conversation. So the other thing that I think is interesting, I saw our buddy Jack McGuire who is doing real big numbers over there with Unnecessary Roughness and his, his secondary roles there and tertiary roles there at Barstool. He did a video the other day and he said, hey, everyone keeps calling out Dion haters. Where are they? Where are the Dion haters? And he said, this dude's on every billboard. He's on every commercial. He is in, he's in front page of every website right now. Everyone's talking about it. Where are the haters? It feels like the people calling out the haters outnumber the haters 10 to 1. Oh, Dion's got haters. He's got them. Maybe not nearly to the quantity that his defenders claim that they exist, but they exist. They exist for a few different reasons. The first kind of Dion hater is just the kind that's a little more old school. And uh, you don't have to think of yourself as a hater. So let's just say people who don't care for him. All right, let's, let's sanitize it a little bit. There are some people who just don't like the way he goes about his business. Totally your prerogative. That's fine. Uh, my stance on it is I kind of love what he's doing, and I don't really even care how I personally feel about it. I put, I'm weird about that. I'm the same way with politicians. I put my personal feelings about them and their personalities to the side. I just have like one thing I care about. In politics, are you going to make my life easier? You're going to keep more money in my pocket? You got my vote. Um, in college football, do you bring more interest to the sport? Do you inject more good into the sport than you take out of it? Like, do you give to the sport? Are you interesting? Are you fun to watch? If you are, I don't really care if I like you or not. I happen to like Dion, but if I didn't like him personally, I wouldn't care. You wouldn't hear me tell you. If I didn't like him, you'd never hear me tell you. And so there are people out there who don't feel like that. And in fact, I'm abnormal. Most normal people, if they don't like you, they're not going to pull for you. In, in, in no shape, form, or fashion will they ever root for you or will they ever say, oh, good job, I'm glad Dion and Colorado pulled it out today. 
I've always been interested in how coaches feel about him. Um, I told you guys once before, and I'll tell you once more, there are a bunch of coaches who outwardly are going to claim to love what he's doing because they know it's horrible business to be seen rooting against Deion Sanders right now, but they are absolutely rooting against him behind the scenes. I know. I've talked to some of them about it, and I certainly did, never, did not get permission to share their names on record, but I'll tell you what they know. They know Deion Sanders is turning the heat up on other coaches. They know that they've been able to preach patience, and they've been able to preach process to their boosters and their fans and their alumni network, and they've been able to tell them it's going to take a few years for us to fix this program. And look, candidly, I think that's true 99% of the time. But they got a problem. Deion Sanders is a problem for them. Because Deion just walked into not Georgia, not Michigan. He walked into Colorado, a total poverty program, one win last year, and said, like a, it's like a clapper. The lamp comes on, and all of a sudden, all the talent's there. And all of a sudden, Colorado's the talk of college football. And voila, TCU's in the national championship one moment. They're getting beat by Colorado the next moment. And coaches know. Coaches know what their fans are thinking. Coaches know what their ADs are thinking, what their boosters are thinking. They're thinking, if that guy can do it at Colorado, why are we being told it's going to take two or three years here? Now, there may be reality out there where there's only one Deion Sanders. That may be logic and reality. It may be logic and reality that you could never expect to duplicate what he's doing in Boulder, Colorado elsewhere. But that's logic and reality. There is no room for logic in an illogical situation. And you're going to find yourself, if you're struggling as a second-year head coach especially, in third year, fourth year, if you're struggling, you're not going to be able to sell what you've been able to sell to this point because Deion Sanders is going to ruin it for you, not that he cares. And the other thing that's going to be a problem, and these are the folks that are really going to come to hate him down the road if they don't already, is a lot of folks in my profession are not going to like him, which is ironic because he is delivering ungodly numbers for you even as I speak. But there are a lot of people, not a lot, there are some people in uh, sports media who think that they're the story rather than their role being to cover the story. This exists elsewhere, but it exists in our world too. And the thing about Deion Sanders is he is actually the story. And his players are the story. And his, his program right now, it's the story. It's always going to be a story. And... Yeah, that, that alone rubs some people the wrong way. But if it were just that, it'd be okay. I mean, these people have covered folks they didn't like before. Here's the problem. Deion Sanders gets he can also control the communication of his messaging directly. He understands he can essentially run a production network in conjunction with his football program. And he can get his message out there directly. And therefore, Deion Sanders is not really going to have to bend the knee to local media or regional media or even national media. Quite the opposite. Pissing them off and getting them to doubt him and getting them to criticize him publicly is going to be a lot of the fuel he uses to further his program and, and further his own goals. That's not going to go over well. Now, it's bad enough when he's doing it at Colorado in their minds. Fast forward five years. What if it's not Colorado anymore? What if it's a major, major program? You know, what if it's a place in the, uh, I don't want to say a specific conference, but you know, you hear things. Uh, what if it's a place that's, that's not out there in Boulder, but it's a major media market? Established, entrenched, 
local media members that view themselves as institutions, and all of a sudden the head coach walks in the door and says, I've never heard of you before, and it's really not a big deal. I won't need to know who you are. I'll control my own messaging. I won't need you. It's fine. They already know me anyway. You know how that goes over? You know what kind of coverage that leads to? You know what kind of toxic environment that can lead to? So yeah, there's some folks out there hating on him. I just don't necessarily think it's for the reasons that a lot of the low-hanging fruit drive-by crowd out there are alleging it to be because of. They're watching us in Golden Valley, North Carolina. They're watching us in Augusta, Georgia. Lacey Washington is tuned in. Thank you guys so much. Hey, I know it's a long show tonight, but we got a lot to talk about. I told you, there were some hard truths to tell on this show tonight. Make sure you like the video and subscribe to the channel while you're here. Please and thank you. I am looking so forward to this next game. Ooh, I, I, got, I got a text message about this game from someone on one of these staffs at 5.37 a.m. this morning. Excuse me. And I won't tell you which one it was. But um, I actually like both of these staffs, so it could have been either one. Texas A&M, four-point favorite at Miami this Saturday. 3.30 Eastern kick, ABC. Friendly reminder, four quarters of football this Saturday is not really going to change a whole heck of a lot about Jimbo Fisher or Mario Cristobal. Reminder number two, what I just said is not going to matter. It's not going to factor in. Because one of these fan bases is about to totally freak out and lose their minds when they lose this football game. And the winner will be hyped to the absolute moon. If it's Miami, they're back. If it's A&M, they're back again. And Bobby Petrino was the magic elixir. So let's dive into this. I watched the entire Miami versus Miami of Ohio game the other day. Because I was down there a couple months ago and I know what I think my eyes saw. But I wanted to see it in real life. I wanted to see it in a football game. Now, I know it's Miami of Ohio. Uh, Miami of Ohio, by the way, had a top 20 run D last year, and virtually all those guys are back. So it wasn't a bad test. And Miami's offensive line looked good. Total different unit. And so, I mean, they ran the ball all over the place. And I, I really think they scaled down their offensive game plan in doing so. But here's the issue. As dominant as I, well, I'm not going to say dominant as improved to this point as I think their offensive line is, this could be a bad matchup for them, man. Like A&M's got, um, I hate saying dudes because everyone else says it, but they got, some, they got some dudes. They really do. And um, so I think it's a bad matchup. Or is it? I know what the paper says. The paper says bad matchup. And on paper, A&M should be able to bottle that thing up at least to the point where they make Tyler Van Dyke win the game. And if they have to make Miami win the game through the air, it is a very valid question. Is that passing game where it needs to be yet? They, they questioned their wide receiver group throughout fall camp. Uh, they've got Shannon Dawson, a new offensive coordinator in there. I think this offense will eventually be pretty good down the road. Is it ready to throw the ball to win a game early? And that's if they have to. I know it was only New Mexico last week for Texas A&M, but I got to ask, is the A&M passing experience real? Is Connor Wigman really that guy? Is Bobby Petrino really ready to rev the engines here? You know what I did. Yeah, I did. I, I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. Uh, that is below the standard that we operate this show in accordance with. But since I already said it, vroom, vroom, baby. Like if they're back, it's going to be really fun to watch because that's a top five talent roster in the sport. 
And if what they did against New Mexico or State or whichever one they played last week, if, if what they did in the passing game is what they're about to bottle up and do every week, they can win any game they play. They can be a playoff team. That's how good their talent roster is. Now, that's a long way down the road. Because it could come crashing to earth this Saturday, for all I know. The reason I didn't necessarily care about the quality of opponent last week was because I, I just wanted to see things in theory play out. Like, I wanted to see an offensive coordinator willing to just press those buttons. Because they've played, they've played bad competition before and struggled to put 30 on them. So, yeah, maybe it was just New Mexico, but it was also 52 points. And they don't do that, even against bad competition, nearly to the degree they should. If it's clicking, they got Evan Stewart on this team. If it's clicking, they got Noah Thomas on this team. Or they got Anaya Smith on this team. Evan Stewart, by the way, had eight catches for 115 and two touchdowns last week. This could be his breakout moment. Should be a, should be a star already. Like, Evan Stewart's the truth. Uh, he just needs to be in a truth-based offense. I don't know if anyone's running the truth offense out there, but they need to be running it at AM. Because if they do, Evan Stewart is about as good as anyone out there at his position. Here's the key. They have got to, at Miami, they've got to do what we would call the bait and pick approach. They got a good pass rush at Miami. Now you got to earn the right to rush the passer. So you got to stop the run on early downs and you got to earn the right to have your guys get after it. But the old bait and pick is find AM feeling a little bit too good about that passing game a little bit too early and let those pass rushers get after Connor Wigman and let them force some errant throws, maybe force some fumbles, maybe force a pick, steal a possession or two. And then play your game. Maybe, you know, then take your chances. Miami's DBs, by the way, Cam Kitchen back there is playing about as good as any safety in the country. That's why he was a preseason Pate State All-American, mind you. So this can happen. Like, I know a lot of my Aggie friends think four and a half is easy money. It's free money, which, as we know, doesn't exist. Even on the Ramen Noodle Express, doesn't exist. But there's a reason why that line's only four and a half. Well, there's still a lot to be ironed out on both sides, quite frankly. So let's look at the Vegas number I just told you, A&M minus four and a half. What does our model think? I actually thought our model would be much bigger on this, but it's not. It agrees. Our model has A&M minus four. And so where do I go with this? It's a pure gut play. Miami played 15 true freshmen last week, as they should. A lot of their true freshmen are the best athletes on that team. But when I'm on the fence about a game like this, and I know I'm going to have to rely on that many young kids, I sit there and think you're a year away. And I think in games like this, where you've got an ultra-physical matchup, not disadvantage, but matchup issue, I just take the more seasoned, veteran, talented team that I think is figuring things out offensively. So I'm going to take A&M to win. I'm going to take A&M to cover. I think it could be the kind of game where Miami, if they win, forget everything I just said. If they lose, though, it could be the kind of game where they lose, but you say, you know what? Even in a loss today, I'm, I'm feeling the direction we're going. Give us another year and let's play that game again. And I think it turns out different. I think that's where we're headed in this game. All right, uh, let's move it on. Got another game to pick here. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live. Live viewership, nothing like it. Boy, what a game we are setting up to watch in Lubbock, Texas. Oregon is a six and a half point favorite as we speak. They're on the road at Texas Tech. When is this being played? Not at high noon. Nope, Oregon could only be so lucky. It is a 7 o'clock Eastern kickoff on ESPN. Oregon coaches, I guarantee you, the moment Texas Tech went down to Wyoming said, oh, great. 
Because the casual looks at it and says, oh, good, Texas Tech's vulnerable. Those of us who have been around this sport and watched it say, oh, great, Texas Tech knows they're vulnerable. It's wounded animal mode. It's one of the most dangerous places to face a team when they're going back home. So you got to go to their building and they're in wounded animal mode. That all those matchup advantages are rendered moot sometimes because crazy stuff happens because this is college football. I mean, they lost in a stadium last week that had mountains painted in the end zone. What a beautiful sport. Anyway, the feel on Oregon and the feel I've told you I have the entire summer is I think their defensive personnel is much deeper and better and they're able to be more versatile and, and package specific with the way that they want to go about attacking an offense. And they better be. Because Texas Tech had nine guys catch passes last week, and all of them, all of those nine, had at least one reception of 10 or more yards. So they spread the ball around. It's a big week for Taj Lepore. Big week for him. That's the defensive coordinator at Oregon. You know, Dan Landing got hired there. And if I'm an Oregon fan, when I hired the defensive coordinator from Georgia, I'm thinking to myself, oh, good, we got Bo Nix. But we're also going to have a dominant defense eventually, right? Well, Lepore's the coordinator up there. Big week for him. Really big week for him. Because I think they got good enough personnel, uh, but you know, personnel has got to be put in the right place to execute. Number two, I think Oregon can choose which offensive style they want to feature here. They, they're deep and talented enough at wide receiver to attack Texas Tech through the air. They obviously got Bo Nix at quarterback. I got all the confidence in the world in him. But also, their offensive line, that offensive line that the preview magazines told you may be a weakness because they're replacing four guys on it, and your boy here told you is going to be a strength, I still believe is a strength. I also think that you got an undersized defensive front you're facing this week. I think you could lean on Texas Tech, or you should at least be able to think you can. And so I think what they'll do is a combination of the two. I think they'll open it up, but ultimately revert back to leaning and it's kind of the way they played the UCLA game last year, to be honest. They showed a little bit of everything in that game. Now, that was with Kenny Dillingham as the OC, and he's off to Arizona State now. Uh, but philosophically, I think that's the right way to go about this. Field goal kicking was a problem for Texas Tech last week. They missed three of them. They need to win that. They need to win hidden yardage. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. Yeah, Oregon scored 81 last week. So they're averaging 81 points per game. Uh, the Vegas number is Oregon minus 6.5. The model's just a little bit north of that. We got Oregon minus seven and a half. I'm nervous. I'm nervous because I'm going to pick Oregon to win. I'm going to pick Oregon to cover. I know to take Lubbock, Texas seriously. I know to take Joey McGuire seriously. I know to take a quarterback in Tyler Shuck who was essentially jettisoned from Oregon and now starts for the Red Raiders seriously. And I know to take a team in desperation mode not wanting to start 0-2 seriously. So why am I taking Oregon? I do think they're that much better. I do think they're that much better. I'm not betting a dime on this game because I am, like I said, very nervous about it. But we're going to go Oregon to win. We're going to go Oregon to cover, especially at six and a half. I am adding two more games to the Ramen Noodle Express tonight. Hey, there's my chart. Oh, man. Did that like an hour ago. No, I just now found it. Uh, the Ramen Noodle Express is at 500. That pesky little Clemson game last night. Don't worry, though. We got some content out of it, didn't we? We'll be fine. Uh, we are already on four games this week. Quick reminders. Oklahoma State minus two and a half. That one's gone to three now. Charlotte plus 24 and a half. We got on Liberty at minus 12 and a half. It's at 10 now. 
It's fine. We still like it. I wish I would have waited, obviously. You still like it. I know why it dropped. Should have seen it coming. My bad. We're still on Liberty, though. Uh, Tulsa, plus 35 and a half. That one's not 34 and a half, so we got good line value there. We're adding two more. Yeah, I'm taking Iowa State plus four against Iowa. Don't worry. I didn't make this pick. The model did. I just got all excited and nervous and clappy when I saw that the model was making that pick. And we're going to go App State plus 18 at North Carolina. So we're adding Iowa State plus four against Iowa at home. And we're going App State plus 18 against North Carolina on the road. One more thing I need to talk to you about. And I'm not kidding when I say after we were already on air. At some point during this show, I texted Jesse. While we're live, I texted Jesse and said, hey, I want to talk about Florida State in the show. Florida State just dismantled LSU the other night. And a lot of people are now asking, wait a second. Is this like legit? Is Florida State back? They're back. They're absolutely back. Uh, Florida State is the real deal. You are at such a disadvantage if you didn't watch the game. Because if you didn't watch it, you may think it's, it's a flukish outcome, or you may think LSU just wasn't all they're cracked up to be. If you're anti-FSU, I have terrible news for you. It's neither of those things. LSU's good. They're good. LSU's going to embarrass some people this year. LSU's going to win a lot of football games. But man, so is Florida State. When we did our best case and worst case and most likely on them, and I said 12-0 and 0 was the best case, I got a lot of pushback on that. These athletes that you're watching, if you're watching on YouTube, th- those cats right there, that's why the best case is 12-0 and 0 and not 11-1 and 1 or 10-2. and 2. Mike Norvell is, is a guy who knows how to acquire talent, develop talent, and disperse talent. So if you think of a piece of toast, in some places, they glob the butter on the toast, but they don't spread it out. So what I mean by that is in some programs, they can go, they, they, they recruit DB talent really well, but they cannot recruit linebackers to save their lives. Or they recruit running backs really well, but they're terrible out wide at receiver. Well, that is not well-dispersed talent. And so sometimes you can be deceived when you're looking at maybe the blue chip ratio. Oh, this team's really talented, but they're not winning. Well, where's the talent? If it's globbed up all in one or two places, that's not a good football team. That's just good recruiting rankings. Well, Florida State's got enough talent. They got enough butter on that toast, but Mike Norvell spread it out. So, so there's no empty spot on that toast. That butter's spread all over the place. That talent is spread all over the place. Where was the weakness? Did you watch them the other night? Where was the glaring weakness? Where's the deficiency? Not there, is it? Yeah, so our burning question over the summer, ooh, is, is lower blue chip ratio going to bite Florida State? No. Not unless, they, not unless they suffer critical amounts of injuries, which would bite anyone. Uh, here's the other thing. Did you notice how confident and cool and calm and collected Mike Norvell looked the other night? Did it almost seem to you like Mike Norvell was seeing what he had known was coming for months? Did you feel like Mike Norvell knew something you didn't? Because I did. Norvell, um, that's a guy who's been doubted significantly. That's a guy who they said the same things about a couple of years ago. They're saying about Napier right now. I know no one wants to fess up to that, but you know good and well, a lot of you out there said, oh, this G5 coach, this dude from Memphis, he's going to be our next Bobby Bowden? He's going to win a title here? 
well, I'm not telling you he's your next Bobby Bowden. I'm telling you he's built a championship contender there. And you know what he did? He did it the right way. And you may think to yourself, what are you talking about he did it the right way, Josh? He cut corners. He went to the portal. Uh, newsflash, the portal's not cutting a corner. It's cutting a corner. It's being pennywise pound foolish if you rely on the portal to be the foundation of your team. That's not what they did. They understood we need to recruit the foundation of our team, but man, if this mechanism's here, if this lever's here, and I pull it and Keon Coleman falls out of it, I'm pulling the lever. I'm not going to do like some other people in this conference and say, don't need it, don't need it. Yeah, you do. You need it because they do it at Florida State. So how seriously should we take them? That's the number one question in my DMs, very seriously. You don't need to wait. You don't need to see if they, if they suffer a letdown. It's not a guarantee they're going undefeated or anything like that. But man, if they don't go undefeated, It'll be because someone pulled off a Herculean task. And that in 2023 is beat Florida State. Home, on the road, I don't care. It is really good to see that brand back. It's really good to see that program back. Uh, It's really good to see it pay off for Mike Norvell. This is what some people, like me, have longed for. Challengers to Clemson and the ACC because it ups the level of everyone's game. And scaling programs in the state of Florida. I'd love to see Florida do it. I'd love to see Miami do it. But I love to see Florida State doing it because that means more talent stays home. And that, along with things happening in Texas and California, is the ultimate key to competitive balance in college football. It is not an expanded playoff. That is a fool's errand. It is major programs in the most talent-rich states in America being good enough to keep their talent at home instead of going to Athens, Georgia, and Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Columbus, Ohio. That's why those programs are so good. It's not because of the system. It's because they're good and you've sucked and your talent's left your backyard and gone and played for them. If you're good all of a sudden and your talent stays home, they'll still be good too. They just won't be quite as good. And that's all you ever needed to do. Just shave a little bit off the top and add a little bit to yourself and voila. Instead of two or three teams who can win the title, you enter a year with six or seven that can win the title. And then the next year, nine of them can win the title. And you've got competitive balance. And it's for the reasons no one ever even thought about. Thank you so much for watching the show tonight. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening. We'll be back here Thursday. Until then, God bless.